Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Zay Loud Network and Mino Lion Media presents Business First. Hi, and welcome back to a new episode of Business First with Sonia Aline. I am your host. Today, we'd like to talk about what it can look like to have a sustainable business in the community. I mean, we've had a lot of conversations, particularly since these, these the social unrest that happened in 2020. We've had a lot of conversations about what it looks like to really invest in our communities and invest in our neighborhoods. And it sounds good, and we all know that that's important to do, but what does that actually look like? like, um, particularly for businesses that are trying to sustain themselves and build their own legacies and create strong revenue. I have a guest in the studio today who has done just that. Um, but before we introduce her, I wanted to give you some information that I, I found was interesting. And I think it's a survey that you should, or a study, I should say, that you should um, look up and review. It's done by the Brookings Institute. This report is called Five Star Reviews, One Star Profit, The Devaluation of Businesses in the Black Community. It was done last year in February by the Brookings Institute. And it had some interesting statistics around our businesses. Some are, are not familiar and some are very familiar to us, like the first one. 1% of a Black-owned business owner obtain loans for their founding year compared to 7% of white businesses. I don't think that that would be a surprise to anyone. Businesses with higher consumer ratings on Yelp or with large number of reviews experience faster revenue growth. But businesses in black neighborhoods receive less reviews and less attention. And the third point that they made that I thought was interesting is that revenue growth in highly rated and poorly rated businesses is about the same for businesses in black communities. And so we want to talk about what it looks like to actually have a business in the black community. And so that's where our next guest comes in. And so I want to tell you a little bit about her before we open her mic. But Robin Harmon Myers is an interior specialist and the owner of Harmony Designs Furniture and Interiors, which functions as a retail store and a design studio, as well as a local art gallery and event space. As the name suggests, she sells furniture, gifts, accessories, personal products, art framing, and interior design services. Robin also has her business in the middle of a Black community. And so, Robin... I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. And and I, I know you're going to have some amazing things to share with our audience as, as we've had many of these conversations in private. So welcome. Thank you, Sonia, for having me on Business First. I am terribly excited and I am overjoyed by the topic. It's one that, that needs to be shared and discussed. Yeah. And you are one who, you know, walks the walk and talks the talk with that. And so tell us, we want to get into your history in terms of, you know, how you started in interior design and your goals for your business and your clients, because you have a very different twist on what interior design and decorating can mean on a, on a soulful level. But tell us about how you actually found your property and decided or what the thinking was when you decided to open up your property in Mount Vernon, your business mm -hmm. in Mount Vernon. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, wow. That's uh, so layered. I'll go back to when my husband and I bought our first uh, home together in Mount Vernon. Um, and I did my decorating thing, you know, didn't really realize that uh, interior design and space planning and color uh, use and, and all of that uh, came to me intuitively. And so um, post a, a career in the music industry, I decided to shift gears and uh, study interior design at Parsons. And through that process, I understood what I had the technical terms for what I was doing. And, and it was really, um, really uh, fascinating to me and very engaging. Uh, so I also understood that I did not want to approach interior design as an esoteric type of thing. I did not want to work under any particular person. I had a different vision. Um, I was always concerned about the plight and the conditions in, in our community. And I couldn't really, although I understand why we have this legacy sometimes of being in environments that or coexisting in environments that um, can be aesthetically uh, challenging to the eye and not really have, you know, we didn't grow up with our mothers having decorators and, you know, uh, some of us are first generation homeowners. So there is a bit of a gap and I knew I wanted to fill that gap. So understanding the dynamics in our community and, and having some experience in retail businesses and, you know, having stores and uh, a store in a mall, I understood that in order to survive, I would have to own the property. And so I knew that it was a thing to, you know, you want to buy a, a property that that is uh, undervalued that could potentially raise in value at some point. Um, so that was a part and parcel of what I wanted to do. I also wanted to show my vision uh, for taking something that looks not exactly pleasing and, and making it uh, amazing. And then I also want it to be a retailer. I want it to be a buyer. I don't want to be relegated to uh, shopping for clients in your, your regular stores. Now, at that time, it was a very European. Uh, we didn't have this global concept of or a global embrace of color even or textures and textiles. Uh, there was no HDTV was just kind of getting started. So I was very often the only fly in the milk. That's not so now, you know, you know, 20, 15, 20 years later. Um, but I knew that I had a different buying eye. So I wanted to be able to be a buyer rather than, you know, shopping retail as a designer. And I also knew that I wanted to service clients that look like me. So I wanted to impact the margin where, you know, I could. Um, and for me, that meant being a, being a retailer and sourcing from my own store, kind of like an Ethan Allen model. They, they pull from their, their product line for their projects. Uh, so that was the vision, quite a big vision. And I knew I wanted to plant myself in our community to be an example of what it means to invest in yourself and what that could look like. And look what we have. Like, I mean, really, how many times do you need to see uh, Harlem transform or Philly transform or, you know, this place transform or this uh, other place transform? And mind you, I'm using transform and not gentrification um, intentionally. Um, but, I, you know, how many times does that need to happen before we, you know, begin to take stock and what we have and where we live and 
you know, begin to open up and live well and, 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 and live like the free people that we are. So that was the impetus or rather those were the impetuses. Absolutely. Yeah. What I love about um, our conversations around our environments, and, and you mentioned this when you said that they are challenging, like they're, sometimes they're, they're, they're dismal. And you in your design, in your store and in your mission, really want people to see that you can have a division around you that has nothing to do with how much money is in your pocket. That's right. Because I grew up very humbly. We wallpapered for insulation and not necessarily for decor. Uh, I understood. I think my gift and superpower was growing up very uh, humbling on the eastern shore of Maryland, very farm to table before it was used as a way to be more sophisticated and elevated. We couldn't afford uh, takeout and TV dinners. So it was farm to table. We grew most of what we ate. Um, and we also understood how to take care of our homestead as, you know, I'm one of, uh, I have three siblings. And so we all have responsibilities. I understood and understand still that it's really about where you choose to invest. And it's also about how you see yourself. And so if you can manage those two dynamics in a very healthy way, then you can elevate in a class level, so to speak, because I've, I've, I've kind of done it in, in the sense that I'm not living with a, um, an iron pump using the bathroom in an outhouse. I live in a 1927 English tutor and in a very nice uh, area. And so I would like to think many of us want to elevate our circumstances, even if it means keeping the family homestead and, and renovating it and making it, it amazing. But understand that there, that there is something to, there's something that speaks to the world about who we are based on how we live and where we live. It is a reflection of how we see ourselves. And it's also a reflection of how other people see us. And, and that holds a value for me. And understanding the legacy of people of African ancestry in this country and in other places due to, uh, in this context, American chattel slavery. I mean, there's no accident that, you know, uh, it, it was all about dehumanizing people and relegating them to uh, a four by four room, a family in a, with no windows in South Carolina, where it's just above the kitchen. Could you imagine how hot that is? You know, and this is me looking at a preserved plantation in South Carolina. Like I'm not, I'm drawing from something that I've, I've actually seen and wondering how they survive. Like, how do you live in, in an environment like that where you have no bed? You know, where's your restoration after days of hard work? But this was all meant to dehumanize. And, and somewhere along the way, we have that severing uh, circumstance took root, you know, so we did what we could to survive, but we're free now. There's no reason. So some of these things that we, we've just got to reclaim, we, we need a healing. And I think for me, I see it as um, an opportunity to, you know, help awaken us uh, in particular, mm -hmm. although I have clients of all, all ethnicities um, and I'm open to that, but my passion is really when I get, you know, someone like myself or younger or older, it doesn't matter. And I get to show them different ways of doing things and how to use color and what, you know, how to use that textile and how to bring in your story into your environments. Like that's really, really cool for me. And to me, that's part of the healing that we need because a lot of this has been about real estate. It's been about how a person lives. 
in terms of, you know, sectioning off people in this culture, this caste system, if I could quote Isabel Wilkerson, whom uh, I think does it so well in, in her book, Cast, how she talks about that we basically relegate ourselves to a caste system. And that's a mental construct that you can easily dismantle. I want to get back to you to talk further about like what people's spaces say about themselves and what they've been able to discover when you work with them. But I want to go back to how did you identify the property is it on South Fourth on, on, on the, on the street where Harmony Designs is? Like, how did you, what was it about that property that said, yes, I think it's the perfect location for the business that what I want to do, but I also think it's a good investment in what I want to do and represent in the community? Uh, great question. You know, in all honesty, when you make a decision, any decision, you just start. So we, you know, at the time, Harlem um, was the place to look and there were great deals to get. So we were down there with a cousin who also bought a brownstone at that time in Harlem. And we were looking around and, and then we came back to Mount Vernon. And of course, we went on the avenue, which is it's called, to get some patties. And I looked up. For the first time since 1985, I've been coming to Mount Vernon since 1985, and I never took into consideration the architecture, never until that moment. And I said, oh, my gosh, look at these buildings. We have Harlem right here. And then I looked over to my left and I saw this beautiful, well, it didn't look beautiful, but it had great bones, <laughs> building. And it said for sale. And we walked in and I just got goosebumps. I was just like, oh, my gosh. And the price was insane. It's ridiculous. Right. <laughs> and it was it was a perfect it was, you know, again, the process when you make a decision, you just kind of start and sometimes things find you. So when you said that, you know, how did I know that was perfect? It kind of found me as well. Mm -hmm. So that that's what that was. Yeah. And it's interesting because you keep referencing Harlem, because I remember when. Uh, buildings were going for so cheap in Harlem, but the people there, because Harlem had this reputation and for, for what, for what it was, people were trying to get out. Like people weren't trying to, to stay there. They weren't trying to build there. I, I when you say very, people, what people are, are people? You speaking yes. Okay. I'm glad you said that. So black okay. people were not trying to stay in Harlem. This was their opportunity to get out. But what is it that you saw? I, I think that's part of what I wanted us to discuss. It's like, what is it about our communities? Yes, they are distressed. Yes, they can be challenging, but makes it difficult for us to embrace where we are and say, but you know what, if, if we stay and if we work together or if we invest, it could look different. It could, it could be like any other place that we choose to live. Those very words, if we stay and if we invest and if we work together are things that we've been traumatized out of. And that is why our communities, in my opinion, have not evolved on a larger scale. We see it in places like Atlanta. I think, right. you know, you see examples of this more so down south. You see more of a, a reverence than a respect. And um, I tell you, if you quoting Isabel, once again, warmth of, of other sons, the great migration from the south to the north, uh, she really does outline how these communities happen, that they're not happenstance, that they are they're created. And right. it's no accident that you don't, n nobody wants to live in uh, filth and, you know, buildings uh, burning down. There's no economic growth. Everybody knows that. We know that. We're not designed to enjoy places like that unless we're doing something unsavory. 
we're, we're designed as humans to, to, we're attracted to beauty. Look at the planet we were gifted. It's not some, you know, desolate place. It's gorgeous. And that was because this is what we deserve. This is what we're, we're attracted to. So it's no accident that uh, our communities are, are systemically, some of them have these challenges because of the systemic racism that we face. And it's no wonder that, you know, we all want to remove ourselves from, we all want to, we all want just a better life. We want to have the freedom and we want to enjoy, um, the bounty of, of that's our birthright. Uh, so we don't look through an economic lens. Uh, we look uh, from an emotional place because I think we're still shaking off the legacy of some of the, 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 the mindset, you know, the trauma. Yes, the trauma. We're yeah. still shaking a lot of that off. A lot of it's still lingering. So, you know, we're, we're still having to actually live under the stress of racism. So it's not like it was ever over in a sense. I mean, look at what caused the recent uprising. Um, it's something that we've all you know, it's yeah. been plain as day to us. And because the, the, the country and the world was still due to a pandemic that they could really, in a very human way, uh, metabolize what, what we see all the time. We didn't have the distraction of, well, that's messed up. And then going to work or doing whatever we, we were, you know, we still sit and watch, watch mm-hmm. it all. Mm-hmm. Um, because we know that these situations are deliberate and they are created, it's really important that we are aware, um, we stay aware that we're conscious of the decisions and the choices that we make. Um, but we also know that it's not easy. So everyone agrees, right? I don't think that anybody would not agree that it's a good thing for us to invest in our communities and to work in our communities and to support them, to support our neighborhoods. But what mm-hmm. does that really feel like. So that's not necessarily, it's, it's not an easy walk for, for folks who do it because it's sometimes creating something new in, in a community that's not used to certain things. It's, um, that's different for the people who are there. And then the folks who could, who you could bring to the community because you have created such a beautiful space don't want to come because it's in the hood. So what is that like as a business owner who has decided like, I'm consciously going to be in this space for all the reasons that I know are, are right. But like I said, it's not a cakewalk. So. Mm-hmm. What has been your, some of your experiences? Um, they've been good experiences, but what are some of the challenges? Well, everything you just described, um, you know, becomes a challenge, keeping a clean environment, feeling safe and making sure your, you know, your customers feel safe, um, contending with not having code enforcement and, and not having your general services that you should be getting, um, that creates the environment that is part of the system. You know, those are, those are some tough things to, um, realize, you know, that there are these codes and laws that are on the, the, the books, as they say, and they're not enforced when we come around. All of a sudden, it's either we're over-policed or we're ignored. And that is what creates that. That's the systemic part that many of us sign on to and in our community as, as residents as um, leaders. And so, you know, that's, that, that was very difficult uh, and still is very difficult for me to wrap my heart around. And, and, and the other is uh, the very people that, um, that there's not enough. It's, you, you're talking about trailblazing and you're talking about having a vision 
beyond what other people can see. And I think one of the sobering things is that not everybody can see uh, that far ahead or see that deep. You know, they're more on a either. Sometimes it's just survival. Yeah. Just just getting through the day to day. Yeah, perhaps. Or some people just don't want to know. Some people don't care. You know, it runs the range. But then there are also people that do get it. Um, there are enough people that, um, you know, understand um what all of this means. And I think for me, from a business model standpoint, again, it was modeled conceptually to withstand the, the staleness. Like I didn't just build out a store, a building that wasn't mine and, and, uh, sit and wait for customers. Like I would never do that. That would be, you know, a shot in the foot, at least for me. But for, for me, the model had to, you know, have a few streams. And one was it, it's an income property. You know, there are three levels above me that we have resonance. The other thing is ownership. Um, and then the other layer was having a design business that wasn't relegated to just, you know, the retail store. So I could be anywhere. I could have clients anywhere. And um, that was the, you know, the staying power. I actually have a pretty good eye and I'm fair and honest. And I, I wanted to, um, I wanted to service an, a niche that wasn't necessarily your high end people looking for these lofty things. Like I could do that. You know, I have nothing against that. But again, what, what really inspires me is, um, you know, everybody has means and it's about uh, creating environments for people. Uh, it might take us a little bit longer. Um, but you'd be surprised. We spend more capital on some things than, than most people, you know, you think, you know, other people, they're not trying to spend any money. They want everything for nothing. And, you know, so, you know, there, I think it's a pretty sweet spot to, to, to be in. And yes, it does come with a, a ton of challenges, but you know, what doesn't, you know, whether you're in the corporate world and having to deal with this or that, like everything has its dynamics, but what, um, planning yourself in your own community as a solo project is, I think the, the, the most challenging thing is uh, when it doesn't necessarily, uh, when, when you don't have enough people see your vision and join the movement. That, right. That's, that's tough. Right. How has the neighborhood responded? So you, because you got there when? In 2002? Two. Mm -hmm. Okay. How has the neighborhood responded to you being there? Um, for the most part, great. You know, you do get some people who, um, who are threatened um, by something that's so nice. But it was important for me to also, and like, I understand it. Like, I get that. And I, I try really hard in my communication, verbal and nonverbal, to make sure that they understand that I, I have a respect for them. I'm not trying to do anything except for, like them, have a, a livelihood and um do well at it. I, I, I didn't want people to feel threatened. So I never had, even though the, I think a lot of people, you know, felt like, oh, she must think she's better or, you know, that wasn't it. I actually think you're better. <laughs> I don't think you deserve this. And, you know, very often the phrase would be, oh my gosh, well, you should be in this area or that area, or you should be in Manhattan. And I'm like, why? You don't deserve this? Like, you, you know, there was just so many, so many indicators that I was in the right place hearing people say, you know, where I should be, that I shouldn't be there. That that was affirming for me. Like, I'm a bit of a rebel. I don't mind being in murky uh, circumstances. And I, I've always felt like I've had a, 
uh, a foresight um, that I download. I don't credit it to me. Um, I'm definitely a believer in a larger energy that I'm just a moving part. So yeah, you know, the neighborhood, many people embraced and there were some, some exceptions. But yeah, you're going to get that. So let's talk about what people deserve, because that comes up a lot in it. Like you said, people were saying you shouldn't be in a space like this because it's beautiful. And this is an environment where we have beautiful things. And that can be a mindset for us. And it's a lot of the work that you do in your design, in, in your design coaching um, and and how you help people see different possibilities. Uh, you know, great question. If you could just close your eyes and just imagine this planet and think of all the beautiful environments, Victoria Falls, um, the Rocky Mount, just think of all the majesty and beauty that this planet has. To me, if you're born, if you're, that's your birthright, just there's, there's, there's very little, I, I can't imagine anything that that's not aesthetically pleasing. Even now um, that there's been so much development, um, how much we enjoy parks and, 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 and going to the beaches and the sunsets and flowers and open spaces. It's just, we open up when we have these things. But then I want you to also consider when you're looking to dehumanize a person that you strip their environment away from anything that's beautiful um, to suggest that they are unworthy and they, they're not deserving. Think of how prisons are designed. There's no nothing, no curves. Everything is cold. The surfaces, the colors are, are drab. It's very uniformic. There is monochromatic. And then imagine the, the most amazing country club and golf course for, for the very wealthy um, and how manicured and cared for. And there's abundance of landscape and flowers and this bucolic and you know, there is something to saying what one person, like who's, who, who's deciding all this? Or rather, who, we're, we're all signing off on it. We all stay in our lanes. We all mm-hmm. stay in our cast. And I think it's important to, uh, as, as I think, you know, we're awakening to be a lot more, um, connected and understanding that we are connected and, and that, you know, we're, we're deserving of everything, I think. And, um, Whatever you have, make it amazing. Make it something that is a reflection of, of your greatness and of your of, of the beauty, what you find beautiful, whatever that is. And it's not just, you know, it's all, it's, there's also economics, you know, tied to this. It's not just about a feeling. For the most part, you know, invest in it so that, you know, there's a return for you. Even if it's an apartment that you're renting, there's a return for you in terms of experience. And in terms of, you know, where you say you've, you've rented before, you know, where you might want to go next, whether renting or, or, you know, buying a condominium or, or co-op. Lifestyle and living is a commodity in this country uh, in particular and in the world, in fact. And real estate has been the biggest commodity in the sense that, you know, you got folks, that's what colonization is all about. It's about grabbing the best real estate and, you know, moving people out and moving the right people in, you know. I, th- I think we, as people of African ancestry, I like to see us 
uh, stop losing out because it's our culture that's often harvested for its, you know, colors, textures, yeah, textiles, music. Yeah, absolutely. In our stuff, except for us. <laughs> well, yeah. Sometimes. Sometimes. I sometimes. Well, I think that's right. changing. And I think, you know, imagine, imagine a, a, a community where we actually look at each other and we see ourselves and that, you know, that, that severed mindset that, you know, we were traumatized into is no longer. And that, you know, and this is not to say that this is entirely who we are. I think mm -hmm. within everything, there are ranges. But if we look at our collective condition, not just in America, but around the globe, mm -hmm. we've got work to do. And, and we, we need to reclaim and, and support and to help. And that has nothing to do with disliking or harming anybody else. In fact, you almost have blinders on in a sense of saying, if you can't love and support yourself and, and those in your immediate, then I don't know. A lot of people think that, uh, you know, when you made the comparison about like what our communities look like and what wealthy communities look like, a lot of people feel that, yeah, like you need money to be able to do that. Like I could live, I could live a lot better or I could have a different environment if I had more money or if I had more, more resources. Mm. And you like to say that that's not necessarily true. That's a Jedi mind trick right there. <laughs> You'd actually have more resources and live better if, you know, Think of an old junky car. It's old. It's old and junky and, you know, but cleaned up, restored, cared for, mostly cleaned up. You know, it doesn't cost a lot to clean up. You could live anywhere, but if it's clean, I mean, we, we can all testify to that growing up in any environment, whether, you know, you, not everybody in the so-called projects or in rural uh, America in a trailer, if that trailer is clean and, uh, and orderly, it's a beautiful home. It's a nice home. And it's also a stepping stone to get something better because of mindset and understanding the value of, of living in a good environment. You're, you're constantly aspiring to, to, to more. I think we're wired to want the best for ourselves for the most part. We're, we want to ascend. So I, yeah, it's not about money. It's about understanding money and what to invest in. So rather than maybe, I, I felt like, you know, while a lot of my contemporaries in, in my 20s, you know, I had my oldest daughter at 22. So in, in my mid 20s, um, you know, they were out going to the club and I was squirreling away money. Uh, you know, I, I stayed in shape. So I look, you know, I could look good, even though it was jeans <laughs> and a t-shirt half the time, you know, very simple. I wasn't getting my nails done. I kept my own manicure, but I was, I bought my first property. You know, I bought a, a co-op and no when one around me 20s. was doing that. Absolutely. Yeah. Which allowed me to buy the house that I'm in now. Like I'm not mm -hmm. hopping around and moving around. You, you, you have to, and, and then you also have to look at these other people. Sometimes we look at these people and we think they're rich or like how you described, you know, and, and how I experience people look at our store because it's clean and uh, there were good choices made that somehow I'm rich. Uh, how about, no, we're all, I'm working class, but it's, we live our choices and it's the Jedi mind trick is to make us think that, um, because it's clean and kept that, oh, rich people live there. No, they're probably working class and they're probably, it's, 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 it's just them making different choices. And I think we don't understand that because, um, 
collectively because, uh, you know, the, the culture has this upside down way of, of showing value. But I think, you know, immigrants and, 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 and many people who, um, you know, growing up, we could kind of say, even though we're, you know, African Americans, Black Americans, you know, we were segregated. We, we all almost had immigrant mentality once the, the gates opened up, you know, in a sense, because we had a different way of living and being than our uh, European counterparts. So some of the things that they had to contend with, we never had to contend with because we just had different, we made different choices. We did different things. But yeah, being in a clean and beautiful environment has nothing it has less to do with money than it does with an idea about w- what it means to live and to live well. I think, you know, which it starts with clean. We, yeah. <laughs> which like, yeah. I, which I think what, what resonates with me too, is when you talk about how these environments, if you're in a depressed environment, it will affect you mentally and it will yeah. keep you in a space of where you feel like you can't create or you can't ascend or you can't move on. And yeah, when you work in clean and in a, in a space where you can beautify, beautify your environment, because you can always beautify where you are. It does. It inspires you to, to think differently about how you're going to um, to move, to move forward in, in your life. There, there are other ways that you like to support your community through your store as well. You source locally as often as you can. Um, is that with other businesses? Like, do you, are, are you aggressive about finding businesses that you can either show or, or artists that you can showcase in your space? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, I try to work with local businesses where I can, whether it's, um, the guy who does the embroidery for our, our linens, uh, around the corner or, a young lady who makes um, amazing cream. Um, she might not be local, but she's in America <laughs> and she's in a woman of color. Uh, so I, I definitely hand select what's in, in our store. You know, if we're getting um, our incense, I try to, you know, get them from the places where incense are certainly prominent. And uh, India is one of those places. And so these are people who are from India or Indian and they source, you know, so it's really, um, it's a blend. You can't often, you know, it's not 100 all the time. You know, there is some made in China up in there. And as long as that's your first go-to, you know, let that be your first go-to, you know, have a, a tier. Okay. You know, whatever your, your, your code is, you know, locally black owned, made in America, you know, indigenous cultures, you know, have, there's so much power in, um, how we consume and that's the language of the land. So if you want to make an impact, I think it's, you know, that speaks the loudest. Reclaiming your person, your space, your community is an investment in yourself. And I think that's something that we're awakening to. You've talked about people. You can sometimes when you go into a space, you can tell what's actually going on with people by how the space already is set up and how that can actually be a discovery for people as they're going through the design process. Can you explain that a little further? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, kind of interesting. You know, I don't, I do it so naturally or intuitively the same way, you know, any other 
I guess a doctor or whomever just kind of assesses the situation. But I remember one, one instance in particular, I walked into a young lady's home uh, for a consultation and they're talking, they're showing me around and I'm surveying and I'm listening closely and I'm intensely listening, but I'm also looking around. And one of the things um, that I noticed is that she had a really nice sized dining room, but her table was expandable, but it was at its smallest, um, it was at its smallest state. And I just remember dog earring it and you know we walk through the house and I notice some you know other things and um and then there comes to a point where we sit down and we talk about you know the I kind of give feedback based on what she's saying uh, or he's saying and, and what I've seen so far and wh- where some of the opportunities are. And um, I raised the question. I said, well, you, you know, you got to be a little bit more open. And I asked about that table. I said, why is why is that table? You've got a you know, really nice size dining room, but that table that is small, is it, it indicates you're not open and welcoming. And she literally burst into tears. And then we had a deeper conversation about the loss of her mother and then feelings of, of isolation. And so it opened up that conversation. And, and then I said, okay, well, let's go, let's go inside and let's, let's open it up. And we open it up together with her bawling <laughs> and, wow. you know, and we're opening up the table and she, you know, we sat down and, you know, there was this feeling of calm and feeling of, you know, feeling better. You know, we behave based on what's in our heads and in our hearts. That's just, you know, common as this is the way it is. And it's not, to me, a phenomenon that, of course, if we think and feel a certain way that it's expressed in our environment, I think it's just really about um, now paying attention to those kinds of things. And so, yeah, you can, I mean, that's why we have shows like Hoarders. You see the the, the extreme part of when uh, someone is having emotional and mental challenges, how it shows up in their actions and how those actions show up in their environment where they're buried alive with things and not knowing how to release things. And that's all, um, again, that's the, that's one, that's the far end uh, or one extreme. And then you have these very austere, you know, environments where they're, you know, you can't, one thing can't be out of place. Uh, so yeah, that's part of what it means to be uh, a human being. And, and I think we can all take a look at our environments and understand like, wow, I really haven't, I haven't made an awareness of that. I haven't been present here. I'm going to make some intentional changes now that I have this awareness. It's almost like any other part, our physical body, our, our job, um, our, our professional lives. We might sometimes uh, be going, we oftentimes are going through without being present without being mindful. And then we decide one day that we're going to be mindful and we make decisions about what it's going to be going forward. And then we take actions towards that decisions, which change our environment. That's kind of the method. It's interesting that you brought up hoarders because, you know, we'll look at those shows and we'll you know, feel like those folks are, like you said, they're extreme or they're odd or we'll make all sorts of judgments on that. But it's really just a more extreme version mm-hmm. of ourselves. And so mm-hmm. some of us are living in full environments, um, intentionally so, because mm-hmm. we are aware and our environment, we, we, some of us know that our environment will affect us, but there are a lot of us who don't know that. And just um, don't notice, like even when you said you had been on that street so many times in Mount Vernon and never noticed the architecture. And I would imagine that's what happened in Harlem 
you know, we were just so consumed. People were so consumed by all of the negative things that were going on, all of the, um, you know, the, the, the desperate environment that, yeah, no one took time to notice how big those rooms were, how high the ceilings were, um, how great the architect, like we'll never have architecture like mm-hmm. that again. And we left, like we fled it all to the Poconos to the Poconos. <laughs> yes. And, and when you say interior design, if you know, again, it, it sounds like it's an affluent kind of investment, but because um, that's how the culture has Jedi mind tricked us into thinking yeah. that it is, you know, and, and constructed it so that it appears to be for wealthy people. But yeah. that is, I think being dismantled. And I mean, I'm sorry to interrupt, but yeah, I no, wanted no. to insert that, that, it's, you know, like most things, you know, we live in a culture that choose, you know, that, that constructs uh, the, the concept and what yeah. we think. And if you're heavy consumers, then yeah, you're going to be probably listening to us like that's some bullshit. Yeah. Um, I've, you know, and then if, if you're not a heavy consumer at all or not at all, then you're like, yeah, I, I can totally see that. But we are what we consume. And so a big part of your job is to let people see even before you touch a wall or, or move furniture. It's really have people see what the possibilities are. Absolutely. If you got four walls, a ceiling and floor, I mean, that's where everything starts. Everybody has that. Right. You know, the Louvre right. has four walls, a ceiling and a floor. Right. The Met, <laughs> four walls, ceiling and floor, where you yeah. are, where I am, four walls, ceiling and floor, everybody. Yeah. It's how you, what you've been exposed to and what you think about yourself and what you know. And the same thing can go with for our person, like, you know, how we dress and how we present ourselves to the world or what, whether or not we choose to, you know, you know, wear that, that uniform because I've, uh, I have bigger fish to fry. I'll, you know, have 40 pairs of the same jeans and shirts and, you know, that's my uniform and it's crisp and clean and I'm focused on other things that it's really about doing what we came here to do and not allowing anybody to hijack that. And that can mean anything. But I think for me, it's not about saying, oh, you need to do this. I don't, I don't go into spaces like that. I'm, I'm very collaborative. And, you know, depending on where they are, sometimes it's first layer stuff. And other times we're dancing, you know, and we're co-creating and, uh, and I'm open to all of it. It's very empowering when you are in a space that is designed for your wellness, for your efficiency, you're more productive, you rest better, you're more joyful, you, um, you're living. And I, you know, coming full circle in the conversation, I was finding that most of us, because of our circumstances and, and legacy of all kinds of things, we, we're, we're not living and we're leaving beautiful places and going into spaces, even still to this day, we're leaving our islands to really prime real estate <laughs> to go into these, uh, over densified, overpopulated pockets of places because we can find work. I think a lot of it also has to, uh, my eyes open when I started to understand economics. When you draw an economic relationship to everything, it changes things for you. You understand that what you wear sends a message about who you are. You know, how you live sends a message about, you know, who you are and, and, and what your path in life, you know, that everything matters and that you are a brand and that you can take that brand and you know, blaze a trail to do all kinds of things. Or you could be 
kind of used and and where are the people's names on your chest and you know buy the latest this that and the third because it just came out like we're 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 you know the american way is about you know the consuming finding the, the consumers the mindless consumers my brand is about inspiring conscious consumers waking up that that consciousness and consuming and knowing that that's our power and that's going to to make not just an emotional emotional wealth but um, we're, we can enjoy life and, and enjoy all the bounty that's around us because we're open. We open our eyes to it. We're not in a habit trail of sameness because we haven't cracked through that shell. In looking at consumerism a little differently, it seems as if you've been able to find like so many wonderful either artists or vendors or people that you can introduce um, to your consumers, to your customers. Mm -hmm. I remember when I first opened in my community, and this is Carol's daughter, um, who had already, uh, you know, had her flagship stores and she was, you know, doing well. This is early 2000s. Had never heard of her. Had never heard of Carol's daughter. Like, that's how isolated you can be in a state where, you know, you think everyone is hip and everyone has exposure and everyone knows. Mm -hmm. You realize how, you know, we can get into the box and just kind of, you know, do this, you know, bang up against the walls. Um, but yes, especially now with the Internet and, all you know, everybody sharing all these amazing um, businesses and um, makers and artisans. Oh, my gosh. I feel like, oh, we don't have to go outside the community for anything. <laughs> we can, really don't. For a lot of things, we don't. We don't. Yeah. <laughs> we really and don't. that's a, that's a really nice it um, really is feeling. Yeah. And it, yeah. it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's my hope even with, um, this show to connect a community of people where you're, you, we're always learning about people that we can support and have some sort of mm -hmm. business exchange with or mm -hmm. learn from because mm -hmm. we do have a lot of wealth. We do have oh, a lot to offer. The wealth um, is absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's time. Good... It's time to, you know, it's always been harvested and we've never been the beneficiaries. Yeah. Yeah. And it's time to 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 broaden that. We we have some beneficiaries, you know, if you're mm -hmm. playing within the the, mm -hmm. the club. But, you know, the truth is we, we can all be beneficiaries because we all have exposure to wealth. And it's really, again, about mindset. And it's really, again, about us looking at each other and coming back to the community and, and sharing gems and information. Because when we see that other boy, girl, man, woman, child, we have to see ourselves. We have to know that because that's what other people see. They'll say, oh, she's she's Robin Myers and blah, blah. they see a brown girl. They see a brown girl, <laughs> you know, so. We, we have to, that's, that's really important, knowing that, you know, supporting another is a support for ourselves and our children and our unborn family. And it's also, and how could I be, how could I forget this? If you think of the, the, the craziness and the, the environments that our, our, our families had to live through being here in this country and on islands um, where there, where slavery is prevalent. That shouldn't be in vain. Like they had to live like that. And, and, and many of them were outliers even then. We don't have to. We have choices now. We can eat well. We can um, have good quality uh, of items. We don't have to have an impoverished mentality. You've got these phones that could 
give us any information to any question that we want. What we have to do is change our, our habits. And some of that, again, involves us um, coming back home and, and bringing good things and not being a part of the exploitative train uh, and not being a part of the social construct, the, the systems that allow you know, your community to uh, be ignored and, and go down in value and be aesthetically uh, unpleasing and uh, anything goes there and it's under-policed and, you know, there, and then all of a sudden it's bought cheaply and it's redeveloped decades later and then there's displacement of, you know, like it's the same story, like how many times have we gone let, yeah, so just saying. Yeah. What's next for, for Harmony Designs and for Robin? I think I spent so much time uh, <laughs> figuring, not figuring out necessarily, yeah, probably figuring out and, and working on this um, this this model that um, now I'm just ready to just put different systems in place and teach a little bit more and share a little bit more and have a little bit more fun in this. And I think, again, I think what what's really... Um, you know, sharing more about different practices. I just learned about this particular wall finish that is um, from Morocco. And it's a polishing of the wall that creates this waterproof surface. And I was like, okay, that's African. Yet another thing. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's just mind blowing that all this stuff comes, you know, again, harvested, you know, because these people can go, you know, they're going there, they're looking for the next thing to bring back to the underserved world and saying, hey, look at this new shiny object. And mind you, we'll go, oh, my gosh, that's new and shiny, not knowing that, you know, oh, yeah, that's your culture. African, uh, you know, it has African roots. Mm -hmm. um, and so. You know, just just really kind of, you know, shaking that cage a little bit. That'll okay. be fun. <laughs> That'll be fun. So, yeah, I, I want to do more with the store in terms of, um, you know, showcasing that technique. I'm now I'm, I'm chomping the bit to find out how, how we can do a wall and just really kind of have a segment on this, you know, this technique that is probably it's very expensive to do. Of course. Yeah. Uh, of course. But when you think about the reason it was done that way is probably because it was very practical. Right. You know, just like most things, you know, again, mm -hmm. me growing up farm to table because it was very practical and right. very easy. And now all of a sudden it's not, you know, like enough with the Jedi mind tricks. It's time to have our own minds and have fun. <laughs> and, have, and have fun. Yes. So how can people find you? Where's your store? Oh. It's a beautiful store. Thank you. It's in um, Mount Vernon on 4th Avenue. It's 115 South 4th Avenue in Mount Vernon, New York. And we're on Instagram primarily at, uh, at Harmony Designs is our handle. And your website? <laughs> it's HarmonyDesignsFurniture.com. Well, thank you so much, Robin. Oh, my pleasure so much. Talking to you and we wish you all the best in all of your projects as you continue to make the world a more beautiful place to live. Oh, thank you so <laughs> much, Sonia. I appreciate right. you. Take care. Take care. Business First is hosted and produced by Sonia Aline. Associate producer, Lauren Turner. Edited by Ken Johnson. Executive producers, Omar Thompson, Andrew Kalb, and Ken Johnson. Find the Business First podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Business First podcast is a mean old line media and say it loud network production. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah. 
That's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.